From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. 2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Thursday, Father Brian Mullady. How are you? We just fine. Happy New Year. Well, same to you. And uh, as the new year rolls in from a calendar standpoint, uh, we move further into the new year liturgically, and uh, the Feast of Epiphany is upon us almost. Yes. Well, it's imp- uh, I think it's important in the Christmas cycle to also examine the Epiphany because you know, in the former times, the Epiphany was the important feast, and Christmas was like an afternote. And the reason is because Christmas is when Christ actually is, you know, born in Mary, and from Mary into the world. But if no one had ever known about him, it wouldn't have made any difference. So Epiphany is where we begin to discuss Christ being made known. Now, of course, the traditional references to the Magi, who may, probably were Sabbateans, may have been somewhat refugees from Israel because they weren't from Persia. That's a misnomer. And they represent all the peoples on the earth who were especially educated and who are leaders who are led by the star to the first manifestation, which is the manifestation in the stable in Bethlehem. But this manifestation would have meant very little without the other two, because one of them is Christ's beginning of his public ministry with his baptism in the Jordan. And you remember that Christ's baptism is not for him. He doesn't need to be baptized. For one thing, he's in person the word. And for another thing, he has he's you know, not capable of committing sin. But he's manifested to be a member of the Trinity. And also John points to him and declares him 
to be a manifestation or the second person of the Trinity. And so that manifestation is extremely important because it, under, it emphasizes his servant and obedience role and also his role as a savior of the world. But then you have the actual first miracle of our Lord, which is a miracle which involves a wedding. You remember the Lord saves the couple of Cada from an embarrassing situation because they run out of wine and at the behest of Mary, uh, she tells him, you know, was a good person who's interested in the couple and not having them embarrassed that they have no wine. And Christ doesn't say he's going to do any miracles because it's not his time yet to do these public uh, acts in which he manifests his divinity. But he does in private tell the servants to um, fill the stone water jars. And then the majordomo of the house or the butler is just overwhelmed when he tastes this delicious vintage of wine. And it's so co contrary to the way people normally do things because as the majordomo or the butler states, most people save the best wine. Uh, they, get, they give the best wine in the beginning and they save the crummy wine for when people have drunk their fill. But you've done just the opposite. You say the best wine till the end. And so the Lord performs the first of his signs and manifests his divinity. So we have him being manifested as the desire of all the nations whom everyone has looked forward to for all those centuries in the person of the major. I suppose you would also use Though it's not really part of the cycle, it is in it in a way. And also represents the end of Christmas, which is February 2nd into the presentation. When our Lord is presented in the temple, because Simeon and Anna represent all those people who all those centuries waited for him. And now Simeon can take him in his arms and he recognizes that he's the light of revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Glory is what covered the mountain in Israel when the law was given. So this shows his divinity. He's, he is the Shekinah now, the bright shining cloud. And then the light of revelation is what the um, Gentiles and people like Aristotle maintained was the means by which you knew the truth. And Lord knows we stand in need of the truth today. Well, Christ reveals the truth. He manifests the truth. He does it in his life and he does it in his teachings. So you have the uh, Magi, then you have at the end of the cycle of presentation, and then you have Christ's humanity represented in the statement of John the Baptist, the whole Lamb of God, 
these um, uh, the second person of the Trinity, and the purpose of the baptism is that the waters may touch Christ's flesh, so that his flesh itself, and the person of the sacraments, now has the power to heal. And then you have the wedding feast of Cana, which manifests his divinity and his power and control over nature. Epiphany means manifestation. And so, in addition to Christ actually being the second person of the Trinity, he has to manifest this fact or this truth to the world and the society in which he lives. So this is what we celebrate in Epiphany. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to take your phone call. That number is one 205 271 2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. Special congratulations going out to another member of the EWTN radio family. Totus Tuus Catholic Radio in Gainesville, Georgia is celebrating eight years on the air with EWTN. Congratulations to Mark Pepper, Carol Bush, and everyone at WMKP from your friends here at EWTN. Pick up the phone and give us a call with your question about the Catholic faith today for Father Brian Mullady. It's a free phone call anywhere in the United States and Canada. It's 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. That's openline, all one word, at EWTN.com. And write open line or Father Milady in the subject line, and we'll make sure that it gets to the appropriate location. 833-288-EWTN. Wide open phone lines. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, if you're listening to EWTN Radio on one of our many local radio affiliates, I want to encourage you to take care of those good folks that are about the work of bringing you this programming. Uh, consider them when you are considering your charitable giving. And if you do not have a local AM or FM radio station in your area, then perhaps our Lord is speaking to your heart to maybe uh, be part of an effort to make that happen. If you think maybe... Our Lord might be speaking that to your heart. 
then you can just simply send an email to Steve Splonskowski. Steve is all you have to remember. Just send an email to radio at EWTN.com and address it to Steve. That's radio at EWTN.com. And Steve will reach back out to you and see what you can accomplish. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Father Brandon wants to know if you can help him understand the importance of Mary's perpetual virginity. Well, Mary's perpetual virginity is based on the idea, first of all, that she's the virgin bride of God. Now, she is the virgin mother of Jesus, yes. But it would not make much sense for her to be just the virgin bride of Jesus without, you know, giving birth to the virgin birth, without her experiencing such exclusive love with God that she needs no man. And Joseph, of course, is a guardian to her. And the traditional idea is that he is also a virgin because his whole mission is to care for Mary and also to experience this union with God and they experience a union in the Lord. Now, the question of the Josephite marriage is an interesting one because many people think, well, how can they be really a married couple if they never have sexual relations? Uh, the way is that they do not deny sexual relations as a possibility, but what they did was give themselves up to divine providence as God should reveal to them whether they should, in fact, have sexual relations or not. And God did not will such a thing. But they both experienced the goods and fruits of marriage in the family without having to engage in sexual relations, but not, again, so as to preclude this as ever a possibility. Should God change his mind or God will it? So the perpetual virginity of Our Lady is based on the exclusivity of Christ as the one unique mediator of God and man, who is the word made flesh, and also on the holiness of Mary, who gave everything that she had completely and wholly to the Father. As you remember, even in Mary's birth, there is an apocryphal gospel where we don't accept the whole thing, but we do accept the presentation of Mary as a feast day. And her parents dedicated her when she was still in the womb to worship her God in the temple. And when she was born, they waited for three years because according to the pseudo gospel, which uh, we find this story, she uh, afraid she'd miss her family and they brought her to the temple and she didn't even look back. She just jumped up the steps and the high priest received her and it says with the temple virgins, she was uh, spent her whole life in dancing in the temple of the Lord 
and rejoicing in God. So it demonstrates the all-encompassing union of Mary with the Holy Trinity. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Mark is in Cleveland, Ohio, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Mark, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, Father. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. My pleasure. Um... I, I was out of town for Christmas Eve and Christmas, and I went to church at a Midnight Mass at a different parish, and I'm wondering if I missed an obligation or if that, which one that counted for or, you know, that type of question. Oh, are you asking about the Sunday and the yeah. Christmas? Well, you can double dip. <laughs> you might be able to work it for New Year's, but you couldn't work it for Christmas. So you had to go to Mass at some time on Sunday. And um, for as far as I know, Midnight Mass is not Sunday. So you can't uh, double dip. Uh, I, I would say, since you intended to go to Mass on Christmas, but you missed the mass, Sunday Mass, the fourth Sunday of Advent. Thanks, Mark. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Dee Dee called from Kentucky, Father, and she was unable to hold on, but she said that she's greatly troubled. There had been a priest near her about whom she had heard rumors and she doesn't want to jump to conclusions, but she also doesn't know who she can talk to about these troubling rumors without spreading them and what she should do about these serious concerns. Well, uh, this is a question of prudence. My personal opinion is, unless he's your pastor and you're taking advice from him and going to mass with him, you should just stay out of it and not make any judgments. Because the whole issues involved today with the judgment of the clergy is very troubling, number one, but it's also very unclear, number two. And I think the best thing to do is just to mind your own business. 833-288-EWTN. That is our toll-free number. Wide open phone lines for you on this Thursday at 833-288-3986. Um, Derek is a Protestant father, and he wants to know why does the Catholic Church say that its authority is infallible and equal to that of Scripture? Well, because for one thing, Scripture was written by tradition, and for another thing, tradition predated Scripture. Remember, tradition is the preaching of the church. That's obviously what came first in the Acts of the Apostles. The apostles were sent out to preach even when Christ was still alive. 
then in order to preserve the truths that have been taught by the apostles for future memory, God aided the sacred author to take what they said and to write it down and that's scripture. But I am always amused because the Protestants tend to think that scripture like the King James Version fell out of heaven already made. <laughs> when it actually is the product of tradition. And remember it's the product of tradition because who decided that the gospels would be the gospels? Because there are a number of pseudo gospels, you know, like the pseudo proto-evangelium St. James I just referred to. None of those things we recognize as such an authoritative. There's this very strange gospel that's like three pages long called the Gospel of Thomas, which is Gnostic. This is a heretical gospel. Well, who decided that? The authority of the church did. And what did they use as their basis? Whether the written testimony truly represented what the apostles lived and taught. So it's not that we recognize one is infallible and the other is not infallible. The term infallible is a loaded term and it makes more sense in Latin than it does in other languages. Uh, all it means is that what's taught there is true. And it doesn't should be should not be added to or subtracted from, which is basically what Scripture says. I believe in First Timothy about Scripture. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's our toll free number. Still a couple of open lines at eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Diana is in Riverside County, California, listening on the E W T N app. Diana, you are on with Father Brian Malady. Hi, good afternoon, Father. Um, my question is about uh, the perpetual virginity of Mary, but how much did Joseph understand? And the reason I'm asking this question is because my husband and I were watching a show. I think it was called The Nativity. It's a series. And somebody asked Joseph, it was before they were getting married, and he was asking, hoping she was in love with him and blah, blah, blah. And... Somebody asked Joseph, what do you want from this marriage? And he said, lots of children. And I said, oh, well, he wouldn't have wanted that. He wouldn't have asked for that because he would have known Mary was a perpetual virgin. So my question is, am I right? Would he have known that ahead of time? Yes. The questioning of Joseph, Joseph was troubled, as you remember, when he discovered that Mary was a child. But that troubling was not about him or her. That troubling was about him. In other words, Joseph's point, because in Jewish wedding customs, first you had the betrothal, which was treated as a marriage, but they didn't live together. The man had to prepare the home for the woman. And then once it was prepared, he could build it or he could buy it or he could whatever. Then he came to fetch her from her you know, family, and they started to cohabit. And this is what occurs with the ten bridesmaids, remember, are 
uh, waiting for the bridegroom's voice. But uh, remember that this is not the marriage. It's merely the time when everything is completed. Now, it was during this time. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We're talking to Diana about Father Milady. What, how much did Joseph know about Mary's situation when they became betrothed? Okay, well, I, um, uh, we had to deal with a little break. So, look, the short answer is, remember, she uh, conceives in that period between the uh, marriage, the uh, betrothal, and the cohabitation. But Joseph's very troubled because he wants to know, as a sinful human being, what place he could have in this mystery. He believes in the mystery, understands the mystery, but he doesn't see his place. And that's when he gets his annunciation. Only he's in a dream, because Joseph's a working man. And he says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the Holy Spirit has conceived this child. And Joseph is given the task of being the guardian of the Redeemer and Mary's virginity. And so he, he knew. So rest assured, Diana, your instincts were indeed correct. Absolutely correct. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. John asks, how do we know that the keys that Jesus gave to Peter were succeeded to popes and not just intended for Peter? Well, we know it because that's what the Christian church has always taught. Uh, always and, and everywhere, right? Right. And Peter receives the statement from our Lord here on the, uh, Peter and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, as you know, there were a number of principal bishops, patriarchs in the early church. Um, Alexandria, Antioch, Jerusalem, but only the Patriarch of Rome is considered to be the center or unity of doctrine. And also we have the famous statement made by our Lord to Peter when he falls, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail, and you in believing strengthen and confirm your brethren, which is in Luke, Lutheran version of the Petrine primacy. So the purpose of the Pope is to strengthen in his office and confirm the faith of the bishops. No other bishop has that, uh, even the patriarchs have that particular um, office. It's only the Bishop of Rome. And even these newer cities that claim to be patriarchs, uh, how Constantinople can consider itself a patriarch, 
when it wasn't even built until 300 years after our Lord, is uh, difficult for me to understand. And then Moscow is even worse. I mean, that's like 1,500 years after our Lord. They follow a tradition of the East, though, in which they named their principal bishop to be a patriarch. On the other hand, though, he has no authority. Um, when the Pope visited Mount Athos, uh, or I should say the Patriarch of Constantinople, the monks of Mount Athos excommunicated him. So it's quite obvious he has almost no authority whatsoever as far as doctrinal definition or whatever is concerned. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Charlene, a first-time caller in Omaha, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Charlene, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian. Thank you, Father, for taking my call. The question I have is my sister-in-law is in the process of going through classes to join the Catholic Church, and I'm so happy for her and her journey. She asked me to be her sponsor, and I was wanted to ask you what you recommend. What can I do to make her experience great and have her join our church? Well, I think you can be happy in your faith. And you can also, if there's a question, try to help her resolve whatever difficulty she has with understanding our religion. Um, unfortunately, today, all too often, not everybody, obviously, but all too often our CIA becomes candle-gazing instead of some kind of instruction in faith. So um, what you want to do is show how happy you are as a Catholic. Uh, my mother was a convert, and she was drawn very much to certain of the women she knew who were just very, very good people and were Catholic. And she also used to say that one of the reasons she joined the Catholic Church was because the Protestants, she was a Methodist, they all condemned smoking and drinking, but they all did it in private. <laughs> and she said that at least we had no qualms about our vices, um, that we uh, enjoyed them, you could say, I suppose. So um, I think just being happy in your religion and being normal is the best way. And I'm sure praying for her wouldn't hurt either, huh? Yes, prayer, yeah, of course. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Charlene. Thanks for stepping forward and saying yes <laughs> to her request. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. James is up next, a first-time caller in the great state of Louisiana listening on Christ Our King Radio. James, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, Father. Hi. Uh, Father, I have a question. I have a friend who is uh, a, gay, a gay man. And they are they were baptized Catholic and they received all the sacraments. Um, but Father, if if he really has if he really loves God but he has such trouble embracing the faith because he feels cast out or he doesn't feel worthy, 
Um, and he, let's say, died, but he really loves God and does want to follow him, even if it not be in the Catholic Church or in some other way, does he get to heaven? <laughs> no. <laughs> At least not. <laughs> Look, he can be gay, feel gay. He can't at practice being gay. Then he can get to heaven. But... I'm sorry if he's an apostate and joins another religion. No, he can't go to heaven. I'm sorry. And I don't care if he thinks, uh, feels bad about it and that kind of thing. Now, uh, as I say, if he's sincerely chaste, which even a heterosexual couple has to be, then he can go to heaven. But he can't do that if he falls away and goes to another religion because it's easier uh, to feel uh, no guilt or something like that. No. Thanks, James. So you have to make a yeah. distinction. Yeah, we will. Uh, we will keep you and your friend in our prayers. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N is our toll free number. Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Here's a good question from Brian. He wants to know if all religions and denominations are equal in God's eyes. Uh, no, they're not. And the reason they're not is because some correspond to the truth about him and others don't. So you can't just say, well, in God's eyes, it doesn't matter whether I believe in the Trinity or not. Or whether I think God is a warrior who's spreading his doctrine by force of arms, or whether I think he's a peaceful God, or whether Jesus is God or he's not, or there are seven sacraments or there are not. I mean, in God's eyes, it's only the truth and the whole truth as revealed to us in Christ, which is absolutely necessary for us to be saved. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't understand all these questions, frankly, because uh, I remember in the year 2000, all these, even Catholic theologians were saying, well, Christ is the place where all religions meet. I remember we had a mission vicar in a mission country who said, well, tomorrow's Christmas. That's the time we celebrate everybody's faith because Christ is the place where all religions meet. Well, I'm sorry if you don't think he's the son of God, you're not a Christian. You have to believe certain things and that's usually uh, encapsulated in the creed. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll free number. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. Um, Jordan writes in, why is it fair for people to go to heaven who live bad lives and then confess their sins at the very end? Well, it's fair because none of us, is, if any of us put our lives up to scrutiny by God, none of us would go. Remember, heaven's primarily a grace, and it's a grace of a person who's open to it. Uh, the questioner sounds very familiar to the um, you know tax collectors and sinners who uh, resented the fact that other people might be saved 
And yet Christ calls them whitewashed tombs because they're being hypocrites. Now we um, we all are in fear and trembling when it comes to our salvation. I can tell you I'm almost 80 now. And the older you get, the more sober life becomes for you because you know it's almost over. And so you're just happy. Uh, I, I don't know if I believe in my religion, God is a merciful God. He's also a redeeming God and a savior. He came to earth to save all of us. The only one who's not a sinner and doesn't need salvation is Mary in the sense that she doesn't suffer original sin. On the other hand, somehow she has to be among the saved. So Christ is the only one who would be considered not in any sense in the need of divine mercy. Well, why, why if I've been, God has shown me mercy, why should I fail to show mercy to others? So it's not a matter of being fair or not. It's not a ledger book where you check off your good deeds and, uh, and then you use a debit your bad deeds. Instead, you uh, experience the need for the love of God. And that can be, and as is the case with many things in Christianity, Sometimes it would take a long time for a person to realize that they need the love of God. Um, they say that John Wayne, who converted to Catholicism on his deathbed, said that he had come to believe in Christ and the church, but it was too hard to live. So that's why he waited. On the other hand, you have people, which should be the case with all of us, where once we do believe we're so much in love with God that we couldn't possibly turn away. And we certainly don't want to wait till the end of our lives to enjoy such a wonderful and marvelous thing as our Lord. And really, at the end of the day, none of us came to the Lord as quickly as we ought to have, huh? Right. Yeah. Although there are examples of instantaneous conversions, St. Paul is an example of the instantaneous conversion. But remember, Stephen interceded that he would experience conversion. Yeah. And uh, so that's why in the Acts is put as Paul breathing out threats. He's totally converted against salvation. And then his experience on the road to Damascus totally changes him almost instantaneously. So for some people, it takes their whole lifetime. For other people, it can be done in an instant because God isn't limited in his causality by the uh, manner in which the cause is received by the effect. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Be sure to check out EWTN's bookmark this weekend, Saturday afternoon at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time, to be exact. Our good friend Mike Aquilina is beginning talking about four books that he's put out covering the lives of four early church fathers. 
one on Augustine, one on Irenaeus, one on John Chrysostom, and one on Athanasius. And he discusses the role of Africa in the early church and the role it played in Western civilization. That is EWTN's Bookmark Saturday afternoon, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Ben. He is a first-time caller in the great state of Wisconsin, listening on WSFI Radio. Ben, you're on with Father Malady. Hey there. What can we do for you? Can you hear me? Yeah, go right ahead. I am just, I am trying to understand, so, like, so I guess the question is, it's, is it about religious? You know, like, the, I was getting confused because I'm uh, trying to understand. There's a lot of religion out there, but in reality, our religion won't get us to heaven, right? It's the relationship with Christ that will get us to heaven. Well, our relationship is our religion. They're one and the same thing. Uh, this distinction between relation with Christ and religion is a Protestant distinction. It's not a Catholic one. And it's usually a fundamentalist Protestant distinction. So they'll say, oh, accept Jesus your person. Well, I don't mean religion. Well, yes, you do. Are there sacraments or aren't there? Is there a priesthood or isn't there? That's all about a religion. So uh, religion uh, involves, it's a virtue actually, injustice in which we attempt to repay God for what he's given to us. And in our particular context, that includes the sacraments. So again, this distinction between religious and religion is not a Christian one. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Richard would like to know, how could God keep Mary from sinning, but also preserve her free will? Well, very easily because God strengthens and supports her in the times in which she could have any temptation to sin. The traditional term is he bridles this temptation. But Mary still remains free, obviously. He doesn't bridle her freedom. He just um, presents the objects of it in such a way that Mary will not choose them, but in fact will choose him. Uh, lots of times people wonder how Jesus could be free. Well, uh, look, the fact that you have to eat cereal doesn't make you less free, whether it's granola, uh, bran, or Cheerios. It makes you fr less free in the sense that you have to eat cereal, but you still have a choice you have a choice between different kinds of things. And that's the only kind of choice that's necessary for us to have when it becomes comes to our salvation. Uh, now, uh, we could, of course, have reject salvation. Adam and Eve did. But that's not what the use of free will is for. Free will is primarily that we will experience salvation. And then we'll come to God as a son and an heir. 
and not as a slave. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Joyce writes in, get your your Latin principles out, uh, Father Milady, and ready to go here. She said, if a priest is living in mortal sin, how does that affect the sacraments? It doesn't. Because the sacraments uh, do not depend on the disposition of the dispenser. Remember, the primary person who gives the sacraments is Christ. So whether a priest believes in them or not, even as long as he's intending to do what the church does, the sacrament is confected. Uh, it's only, again, the uh, Protestants who maintain that it's the poverty of the instrument which makes it unable to communicate grace. And this is simply not true. Uh, God doesn't depend on the strength and weakness of his instruments to bring forth his effects. Uh, R.L. is watching us on YouTube today, and he says, Father, I am an an Episcopalian preparing to be received into the Catholic Church at Easter. My sister does not believe that there is a devil or an evil one. She says people are evil. How was the best for me to approach her on this? Well, the devil's a person. (laughs) That's what she says is true. People are evil. But that's so Satan. Remember, in the initial creation, God created the angels as a part of the initial creation. But every angel ends its pilgrimage in life by its initial choice. So in the case of Satan, who is supposedly one of the highest of the angels, Satan chose himself as opposed to God. In other words, he wanted salvation on his terms, not on God's. So his famous thing is non servium, I will not serve. So, again, for us, because we exercise our initial destiny through a whole series of choices which occur throughout our lifetime. We could accept or reject it several times. We would change our mind many times. So until death, we are not fixed regarding our final purpose in life. But that's not true of angels. The angels have this perfect intellect. And their first choice is what death is to us. So uh, Satan becomes uh, evil because he chose against God and he can't choose for God now because of the manner in which the angelic intellect works. And if he should try, uh, there's a famous book called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, where he has some people from hell coming to heaven. All they're concerned about is themselves. <laughs> they want God to change heaven to fit their idea of things. Because that's the way uh, the people whom we consider to be wicked. Now, no one's wicked by nature. By nature, we're all oriented to good. But how you carry that out 
that's what determines your final destiny. And finally today, Jason's watching us on Facebook, and he wants to know, God, why would God allow people to have homosexual attractions when marriage was designed for a man and a woman? Well, I don't know. Uh, apparently, it's a part of our makeup. If we can experience an attraction, a natural attraction for the opposite sex, some few people can contrary to nature, um, I'll experience the opposite attraction. And in doing so, however, if they want to lead a good Christian life, they have to do so chastely, just as a heterosexual would have to do so chastely. So we don't judge the person, we judge the behavior. You know, back to the, to the previous question, I've heard it uh, speculated in the past by some uh, theologians that that Satan's real motivation was he was very upset that these created creatures were seemed to be held in higher esteem than he was in the eyes of the Lord and in his plan. Yeah, that's a tradition. I think it may come from Milton. I don't. I, I've never read that in a theology book either. Fathers or ours, but I know it's in the literature uh, that C.S. Lewis quotes it by saying, "When the person whom Satan on earth is tempting dies in the state of grace, the senior tempter says, just think that thing begotten in a bed can look upon him as we Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May a blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Malady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan on EWTN's Open Line Friday. Until we get together then, God bless.